Hey everyone, it's good to see everyone today. Welcome, we've got some uh, fun topics to go over today and we're just letting everyone get into the room. Definitely jump into the chat box and say hello. We're super excited to see all of you guys and I have some exciting news for um, a three-part series interview that we're going to be doing, and I'll tell you who we're going to be doing that with soon. Super excited to tell you guys about this. Hi, Marianne. And uh, as everyone is jumping in uh, to the room today, I just want to introduce my co-host, Anne Hudra. She is our lead nutrition coach here at Modern Holistic Health and um, has a big background in uh, media and interviewing and stuff. So we have a lot of fun together doing these. And then Dr. Tori Thompson, who is one of our lead biological coaches here at Modern Holistic Health. And we wanna welcome all of you to Tribe Talk. All right, uh, Anne, do you wanna go ahead and get us started? Yeah, so, so today we're going to be talking about COVID and the coronavirus and just kind of catching up on all the research that's happening because there is ongoing constant research happening around COVID, um, not just in the United States, but from all over the world. You know, scientists and doctors are looking at this, you know, virus from all these different angles um, to try and, and figure it out and see what we can do and what the numbers really mean. And so we're going to touch on a lot of those you know, a lot of those points today. Um, and then kind of talk about moving forward. You know, now that a lot of states are beginning to open back up and people are you know, getting out and venturing out and kind of going back to normal in a sense, uh, we're gonna talk about, you know, what that looks like and what we should be doing and, and safe practices and what that means and, and just touching on all of those things. So. Um, as we go along, if you have questions, of course, put them in the chat box and we'll get to those. We want this to be a conversation between all of us. If you have concerns, if you have comments, just pop those in the chat box. Um, but Dr. V, it's really kind of challenging to stay on top of all of this research. I know the three of us last night and this morning were just kind of scouring different places and seeing what's being done and trying to gather some of the latest. It's hard to stay on top of everything. Yeah, you know, it can be hard and, you know, it's just so, on one side, it's so unfortunate that we're not getting, you know, accurate information uh, from mainstream media. Um, but on the other hand, it's so good that it's all being exposed right now because we need changes. And, um, and I feel that, you know, the three of us, uh, you know, who host Tribe Talk Live, we have background not only in mainstream media practices, um, but, but we have background in medicine and, um, you know, there's been so much fear. It's been sensationalized in the news and all, I, I will tell everybody listening today, you know, when we first heard of this, we were taking the precautions too. You can even go back and read my newsletter that where we were talking about, you know, getting prepared for COVID, you know, we didn't know what was coming our way. Um, we, you know, we just, there, there was even some, you know, concern on our side too. Um, but as new information has surfaced, 
and with our medical backgrounds that we know how to discern what's real and what's not. And we can step back outside of the place of fear and actually use our education and use some rational thought, you know, combined with the, ed with the medical education and background that we have. Um, and we can see what's really going on. And, um, you know, Anne and I are going to talk more about that today. Yeah, let's talk, let's dive right in and, and let's talk about the numbers because I think every time someone turns on the TV or opens up social media, that's the first thing they see is either this big map covered in red or this big chart with lots of numbers that look kind of shocking if you really start to read it. But what we're learning by a lot of these studies that are being done is these numbers are being misrepresented and it's not really a clear, accurate picture of what's actually going on, correct? Yes, that's absolutely true. And um, and this is actually, you know, good news that we're able to, to see this. And let's just talk a little bit about how the numbers are being misrepresented. So the, the original predictions were that this was going to be an astounding like 20 to 30% like death rate. Like people were very, very concerned. I mean, and you know, if, if we think about that and we go back in the history of looking at viruses and diseases, we've never seen that before. So yeah, of course, there was cause for concern. Everybody was hiding in their house. But now we are actually seeing, you know, real numbers come through that are showing 0.1 to 0.2% um, death rate. Um, this is less than the influenza. I mean, a bad year of the flu can be three to, you know, 0 0.3 to 0.4% across the world. So, you know, we're, we're seeing this very differently. And um, one of the reasons that the numbers are being skewed and, it, and, and, and if you guys haven't seen this information, I've got tons of links that I'm going to be sharing in the chat box today. Grab those links, right? Grab the links so that you can do the research for yourself. But um, the CDC sent an initiative down to all of the hospitals around the United States um, telling these doctors to mark anything that they see come through their hospital pretty much as COVID without validating with any testing. Um, and um, this is absolutely like unacceptable. This should not be done. And why is it being done? And there are actually doctors speaking out about it. Um, there is one doctor who is governor, Dr. Jensen, and I will find his information here in just a little bit. But Dr. Scott Jensen, he's governor. And I don't remember what state that he's governor in, um, but um, he has been speaking out on this. He was furious and said he will not be manipulated into marking a death as a COVID death if it is not in fact a COVID death. So what you're going to see as we look back on this is we're going to see that the statistics that we've been able to keep track of for many, many years now showing the death rates of answer all of that, we're going to see that those numbers have gone way down for this year. Why? Because they were misrepresenting the COVID deaths and marking everything, you know, as COVID-19. So just to let you guys know, you know, it's, it's human nature for us to not want to change our narrative. And we're, and we can get into that later, but like once we get something in our head, it's just human nature that we want to stay the course. But what we need to do is we need to jump out of that model of thinking and we need to think rationally as new data becomes available. We need to sit back and we need to analyze it 
because we need to understand that there are new possibilities for a, a reality, you know, and if we're not looking at that, then we're going to stay stuck in an old model that is actually not valid. And so, you know, the good news here is that we're seeing that this is 0.1 to 0.2%. And so, you know, there's no reason to have, you know, fear over this. Yeah, you know, and, 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 you know, in no way are we saying that this can't be something deadly because obviously people have died from this and people have lost family members. And so, you know, it is a very serious issue, but a lot of what we're hearing is the word comorbidities. Like what else does that person, you know, that person that does pass away from COVID, what else did they have going on? And I think it's important to look at those things because, you know, in a lot of the cases we're seeing some other disease or chronic condition that they have is a huge factor in why COVID was so difficult for their body to handle. And, and I think a lot of the studies that we're going to continue to see after, after this first wave passes is, is just that, that now is a time that's incredibly important to really take a look at your health and understand what these chronic conditions are and how you develop these chronic conditions over time and look at your risk factors. You know, do I have a chronic condition? Am I on the way to having some type of chronic disease? And, you know, a lot of people we've seen are kind of jumping on the bandwagon now of, oh, I need to get healthy. I need to change my lifestyle. I need to modify my diet. And we encourage people to continue doing that. I mean, you should definitely be doing that. But we also have to take into account that when we're seeing these deaths, you know, the legitimate deaths that are dying from COVID-19, a lot of them do have these other chronic conditions along with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a lot of these comorbidities uh, that people are talking about, because some people are asking, well, what does that even mean? The comorbidities are um, other diseases or chronic illnesses that people already had, and that is making them, those are the ones who are becoming susceptible to develop COVID. So, and before we go further, let's just kind of um, understand the difference in terminologies. Coronavirus is the virus. COVID is not the virus. It's the disease that can manifest, right? This really, really bad, bad reaction. Not everybody that gets um, exposed or, 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 you know, not everybody that has coronavirus, this particular strain of coronavirus is going to exhibit or develop into, um, you know, into COVID-19. And so, but these comorbidities include, you know, things that we see that are rampant around not only the United States, but around the world. And that's things like diabetes, right? High blood pressure, high blood sugar, high stress, um, autoimmune diseases. And one thing that is not being talked about in the media, and again, we're going to share a lot of links with you. Um, if you guys, you know, if you guys wanna watch something that's gonna help your mind expand and really help you see the truth, um, look into these, you know, watch these different documentaries and these different interviews that I'm gonna be sending you. But uh, one thing that's not being talked about on mainstream media is the increase in rate of COVID in those who have had previous flu vaccinations. And um, Dr. Judy Mikovits um, talks about this um, and, uh, and you know, we'll talk a little bit more about her in just a minute so that you can understand a little bit of her background. Actually, I'll just go ahead and tell you now. Um, she's a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology from George Washington State University. 
She has her postdoctoral in molecular virology um, at the Laboratory of Genomic Diversity, um, National Cancer Institute. She led the antiviral mechanism labs at the uh, National Cancer Institute in Maryland. Um, this woman, she is a crusader trying to let people know what the heck is going on uh, with the history of vaccines. Um, you know, how, um, you know, how there's a lot of agendas going on right now. Um, she actually is a huge whistleblower. Um, and, uh, and I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. We're going to be interviewing her in a three-part series um, starting next week. We're super excited. And that's what I want you to tell all your friends about. I want you here. I want you to hear this information. This is information that is going to be life-changing, not just for you, but for the, for the entire world. People are going to need to hear this information, but she does go into, so she goes into a lot of science and some of the terminology she uses, cause she's super, you know, she geeks out when she's talking about all of this stuff. Some of the stuff you may not understand, but a lot of it you will understand. And she talks about the history of how these viral based vaccinations, how dangerous they are and how it's increasing the likelihood of a, of, of, a, of a person developing into those really bad COVID symptoms, I believe she says something like 30% or something like that. And you know, that's, that's one of those major topics out there right now, because there is all this talk of development of a vaccine and it's a polarizing issue because you have people who are, you know, so bent on the fact that we need a vaccine for this. And then you have people on the other end of the spectrum that say, absolutely not, would I ever take a vaccine for this? It's one of those issues that people are really divided on. And so how do you make a decision on that? You have a lot of people who are undecided, who, who say, I don't know if I would take a vaccine or not. And so she's going to give us some really great information that's going to kind of help us understand how these vaccines work or don't work. And, and, and I think that's what you need to make a decision like that, is the more information you have and the more knowledge you have, the better equipped you are to make a decision when the time comes. Exactly. And, you know, let's just say this right now. None of us here, as your hosts, we're not pro-vaccine. We're not anti-vaccine. You know, vaccines can be awesome. But why in the heck do we have these dirty vaccines? Why are the vaccines being made the way that they're being made? That is the problem. Vaccines themselves have done some amazing things over the years, but starting in the 70s, they started putting a lot of other garbage and trash into these vaccines that is making people sick. It's causing cancer. It's doing all of these horrible things. And Judy Mikovits is going to be talking about the science behind that. And, you know, she she went to expose this information to the public several years ago and she ended up having her life threatened and she ended up in jail because she was trying to expose this information. I am telling you, she, she has two books that were just released. They've already sold out. Um, you know, we're waiting until, until the uh, publisher gets more books printed. Um, but this is information, you know, she is blowing the whistle. She's blowing the lid off of, off of all of the agendas that are going on. And so, but, but I want you to know that we're not anti-vaccine at all. We are, you know, um, pro-health, right? And, and if there are, you know, if there are vaccines out there that are not going to be harmful and are actually going to do what they're supposed to do, then heck yeah, like, let's just jump on the bandwagon and let's do it. But, but, but they're not being made in a safe way and they're causing a lot of illnesses. And then 
you know, the other thing to consider too is why does it have to be polarizing? Why can't we pull out, out of that model? You know, we've been trained since childhood that you have to take one side or the other. That somebody has to be right, the other person has to be wrong. What, I mean, that's so antiquated. Let's step out of that model and let's rise and transcend above that. And let's just look at the data behind it, right? We don't have to be pro or anti. Why can't we just be smarter than that and be outside of that model altogether? and just look at the and just look at the information. Yeah, that's a wonderful point. You know, that's hard for some people to do, but that's a very wonderful point. And I want to touch back on the comorbidities for a moment. Um, you know, because we talk about a lot of these chronic diseases that make a person more likely to suffer, um, you know, severe symptoms and consequences from from COVID or coronavirus. And I was talking with a friend yesterday who, who made a good point to me, who said, well, you're talking about all these chronic diseases, but look at the statistics in America. That's a lot of our country. You know, that's a lot of people who have these comorbidities. So, you know, the, the conversation there was, you know, I'm in Texas and the conversation was, is Texas reopening, you know, our state back up too soon? A lot of people are worried now that, that Texas is reopening starting on Friday and restaurants are opening, movie theaters are opening and people are going to start going out. And that's another one of those issues where you have both sides. You have some people who can't wait to get out and go back and have dinner in a restaurant and go to the movies. And then you have this other group of people who say, I'm absolutely against that. Everyone needs to stay home. And when you, when you look at that issue and then you look at the number of people with those comorbidities we talk about, some of those people I think are justified in, in wanting to stay home and not go out yet for their own safety and their own protection. But in the end, I think having the freedom to make your own choice is what's really important there. That's so important. You know, we don't want to forget that. Um, you know, our, our constitutional rights dictate that we have, you know, freedoms that um, it's pretty scary. We're seeing a lot of these, a lot of our freedoms on the line right now. And if we look back at the history of, um, of infectious diseases and ones that were very virulent, like meaning scary ones, the ones that spread and were causing a lot of deaths and mortalities and, and, and uh, you know, really bad repercussions, never in the history of illnesses have we quarantined the whole world. Never. And this is, this is not even one of the worst ones that we've ever seen. It's just been hyped up in the media. Um, you know... It's the sick people, it's the people that are at highest risk that need to be quarantined. It's those people that need to be careful. You know, the rest of us who are healthy, we need to get out there and we need to keep supporting those who need us. You know, how can we keep the economy going so that we can make sure that those of you who do have higher risk, that we can make sure that our taxes and that our jobs and that our businesses can help support you. Because the way that things are being done right now and our whole economy is shutting down, you know, we're going to see a rise in mortalities, not from COVID, but from other things, from suicides, you know, from heart attacks, from cancers that couldn't get treated, from, you know, from, from all of these other issues. Um, and, and, and we're seeing a collapse happening in our economy that, quite frankly, is very, very concerning right now. Um, we need to get out and we need to work so that we can support those of us who need us. 
you know, I'm glad you brought up that point in talking about, you know, touching on mental health because I did see a study yesterday when I was kind of looking for some research that talked about men and women and how men and women are handling from a mental perspective this quarantine and lockdown. And it, it, it looked at statistics and it, and it showed that women are the ones who are having a harder time mentally dealing with this because they worry so much. They worry about their families. They worry about their children. They worry about finances. Um, and, and a lot of women have kind of this mentality of, I'm taking care of my household. I'm taking care of the kids. I'm taking care of my spouse. I'm homeschooling now. I'm trying to work from home. I'm cooking more. And so it's, it's important that you brought that up because the longer some of us stay in quarantine, the more we kind of see our mental health slip a little bit, or we, we have challenges when it comes to the area of mental health. And um, I'm so glad that you brought that up because, um, you know, my passion you know, we, we see many people with chronic diseases. We see very complex cases. That is our specialty. Um, but my passion is mental health and neurodegenerative disease. I don't want to see, I don't want to see what I fear is coming. Um, you know, we want to help pull people out of that rabbit hole. But, you know, women, women, we are nurturers. Genetically, that's the way we're made. And we don't compartmentalize what is going on the way that a man does, right? We're looking at a whole bigger picture. You know, men in order, I mean, and this is just generally speaking, okay, for everybody, this is just generally speaking. And this is not to say anything negative. This is all positive. This is what makes men and women such, you know, great counterparts to one another that, you know, we can come together and we can be, you know, like super powerful because of the way that we think differently and we respond differently to things. And so, but men are really good at compartmentalizing things. You know, they will have all of that, you know, worry and stress on the back end after they fix the problem. The men right now are focused on fixing the problem. They're not going to think about necessarily like the whole bigger picture. And, um, and so, you know, for all of the women that are out there worried, you know, we've been feeling the same way and, but we're here to try to help be a, a voice of calm and a voice of reason. Um, and, um, and, and we just, yeah, we just need to get back to work. And like I said, so that we can help support, um, you know, those who, those who are, um, you know, immune compromised or those who might be at higher risk. And that overall is going to help. Uh, not just our economy, it's going to help the world economy as well. And, you know, one thing I wanted to mention was that, you know, you, you have some of us who are ready to get out, ready to get back out there and go start shopping and eating out and doing all these things again. And, and we're not worried, so to speak, you know, on a large scale. And then you have, you know, other people who are worried, who want to stay home, who don't think we should be going out. And I think it's important to have respect for both views, you know, if you don't want to go out, you don't have to go out. You, you can stay in quarantine as long as you like, if you feel safer doing that. And I think, you know, there's a lot of conversation there, uh, uh, like you said, about what's wrong and what's right. There doesn't have to be a right or wrong in that scenario. I think if we can all just have respect for the other person's opinion, let them do what they want to do. Let them make the decision they want to make, but also let me make my decision and, and let me do my thing. I think it's really important that people look at that scenario from a place of, of mutual respect. 
Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I think that a lot of that has gone out the window. Um, you know, we've seen so many um, arguments going on on social media uh, with people arguing because one person doesn't respect the, the thoughts or the wishes of the other person. I think it's super important for all of us right now to rise above that and just to show respect and love for the other person. Look, you know, our job here is to try to vanquish the fear around this. All right. Um, but on that same token, you know, if you tell us, you know, you know, in, in a social media post after this interview that you're choosing to stay inside and you're fearful, you know what, we're, we respect you for that. And if there's anything we can do to help you, you know, while you choose to stay in quarantine or feel like you need to, you let us know, like we're here for you. Um, but, but for, for those of you who are choosing to stay in quarantine, either, you know, based out of fear or that you know that you've got these comorbidities, right? Um, there are some things to take into consideration about, you know, how you can strengthen your immune system. One is work on the comorbidity. Almost every single um, chronic disease that is considered a comorbidity is reversible, right? And if you don't know that, then you need to be having a consultation with us or with some of the other functional medicine doctors across the country because it, you've been lied to and bamboozled if you believe that you have to live with type two diabetes or you have to live with fibromyalgia or you have to live with Hashimoto's or Crohn's. If you've been told you have to live with that and you're taking these medications, you've been lied to. These things are reversible. We see it happening every single day. So, you know, what can you do? to help yourself, start working on your health. Put your health first, okay? Um, take, take things like vitamin D, take your zinc, right? Um, um, eat fermented foods, you know, get, get a variety of different bacteria into your body. Those, those people who are not going, who are not choosing to stay in quarantine, they're getting exposed to bacteria and viruses and all kinds of stuff every single day. That actually is a part of how we have evolved to be able to survive. We have to come into contact with these different germs all the time. That keeps our immune system optimal, right? And we need to get sunshine every day so that we can make vitamin D, you know, which helps us to suppress viral replication. It helps us to control the inflammatory response. It's actually a hormone in our body. So, you know, there's a lot of things that we, that you can do. And, you know, for those who stay in quarantine, you know, work on those things. For those who are going out, um, this is good because we're going to help keep everybody else stronger because we're keeping our immune system stronger so that, you know, so that we can develop a, a herd immunity. Yeah. Basically. And, you know, I want to, Lauren made a good point in the, in the, in the chat that not everyone is in fear she's staying in because it makes sense and it's smart for her. And I think that's a wonderful point. You know, it's not always about fear for those people who do have the underlying conditions and they know, they know it's safer for them to not be exposed right now and they're deciding to stay in, that's a good choice. And, and for someone like me who might go out, I know then not to go see my elderly grandparents and possibly pass something along to them. So it's being smart in the decisions you're making and knowing why you're making those decisions, that's important. And you know, you touched on herd immunity and I'm glad you did because I think that's that's a topic that's had a little bit of controversy in this some people say no way what would herd immunity be the right choice right now but you know explain herd immunity and exactly how that works in a in a scenario like this 
Well, you know, that's a really great, great question. And we actually have um, an, an immune, an, an immunity mini series that um, Anne and Dr. Tori and my other team members and I have been putting together so that we can educate everyone, um, you know, on like, you know, immune function 101 kind of stuff. And we've got slides in there, um, really some great presentations. So keep an eye out for that. We plan on launching that in the next month or so. Um, and, and it's really going to give some really good visual representations of how our immune system works. But basically there are two types of immunity. You have um, natural immunity or innate immunity, and then you have acquired immunity. Um, and, and that's also called artificial immunity. And, um, you know, our innate or natural immunity um, has developed over, you know, thousands of years for the lifespan that, you know, humans have been roaming around on this planet. And that's why we have survived as long as we have, you know, even without modern medicine, look at what we've been able to do. Um, but, you know, over the last 40 years or so, um, you know, um, the educational system has taken people in a direction to not understand that they, you know, have a super strong immune system that's better than, you know, any type of artificial immunity out there. Um, but artificial immunity comes from things like vaccines or plasma transfusions of people that already have antibodies that have developed antibodies to certain types of diseases, um, things like that. And so, you know, with, with a case like a coronavirus, um, you know, your best course of action is to allow your own body to develop its defenses against that. Um, and how do you do that? It's by making sure that you finally put your health on the front line here. You know, if you've got these comorbidities or these chronic issues, you know, you need to fix them, right? Fix them. They are fixable. They, they are fixable. Otherwise, you're leaving yourself susceptible, right? Because your own immune system is not going to be able to work like it should. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's just kind of easy. It's going to be hard to get into a lot of detail on the differences without having slides and stuff. So I would say, keep your eye out for our immune masterclass that's going to be coming out soon. And you're going to get a lot of, a lot more detailed information on that. So, so let's, let's take a couple of questions because we have some questions that are starting to, to come in. Um, Jessica is asking if it's a good time to do a liver cleanse or fast during this time. She says she's in good health. Um, but are these things a good, a good thing to do at this time? Sure they are. Absolutely. You can do that now. As a matter of fact, fasting can actually increase your immune function. It can increase the efficiency of your immune system. And so that's really, really great that you can do that. And, um, at any time that you work on cleaning out your body, uh, that's going to be a really, really good idea. It's not going to leave you more susceptible to getting sick. Um, now, if you've never done detox on your own and you don't know what toxins you have, um, you know, those are just things to consider as to how deep of a detox that you really want to do, right? Um, and so just, you know, take that into consideration as well. But I would say in general, yes, absolutely. Go ahead and do that. I think that right now is the best time to be working on your health. And that includes detoxing yourself. 
Yeah, and we actually recommend that people do a really good detox a couple of times a year, you know, every six months or so, and then stay on top of the maintenance. So you can do that by, you know, eating the foods that are really good for, for detox. A lot of your greens, you know, things like Brussels sprouts, having superfoods, you know, a lot of really whole healthy foods and eliminating a lot of the processed sugars and the other processed foods. You know, this really helps your body kind of stay on top of the detox process. And, you know, from, from my own experience, staying on top of detox really helps you not have to have that one major detox that you do every year if you're kind of staying on top of it. So, you know, along with, with food, it also includes good quality sleep because your body does a lot of that work while you're sleeping and resting. So that's really important for detox. And then, you know, making sure you're, you're having plenty of water and good quality water. You know, all these things are really good things to focus on right now while a lot of us are still at home and we have time to really focus on building good habits. So yeah, it's a really good time to start your own little detox protocol that you can maintain throughout the entire year. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of different types of detoxes that you can do. Um, you know, most of the ones um, that you'll find out there um, that are food-based are probably going to be the way to go so that you can get started with that. Food-based detoxes are really, really good. So let's get to a couple more questions. Um, Jessica is asking what's a good, a good protocol to start with if she knows she has leaky gut. So what are some of the things that we recommend that people do if they know they have leaky gut? Well, so my other question would be is, okay, so if you've done testing and you know you have leaky gut, did you also do some further testing to see what uh, were the probable causes of the leaky gut? So if you have mold or chemical toxins or some sort of bacterial infection, um, that is found, you know, in the gut area that is causing the leaky gut to begin with, we need to remove those barriers or you're never going to be able to heal the lining of the gut. Um, once, you know, once you have um, identified and eliminated those, uh, those issues, um, then you can go in and you can start working on leaky gut. And there are a lot of different things that you can use. Um, L-glutamine uh, based products uh, that are for leaky gut are really, really good ones. And I would just say that if any of you have tried any L-glutamine based products, like either from Dr. Axe, uh, he you know used to have all of his leaky gut protocols out there that you can, I'm sure, still find online. Um, or if you're using Designs for Health, um, or if you're using you know Apex Energetics, like these are different things that you can get through other practitioners that are really good products. Um, if you're trying anything that's L-glutamine based and you notice that you have issues sleeping um, when you start taking that, which you'll usually notice that within the first couple of days, or you start noticing increased agitation or mind racing, then you may want to go to a non-glutamine based uh, uh, type of a product. And so, you know, that's, um, that's something that uh, we should probably do one of our Facebook lives and our Crusaders for Health um, uh, uh, Facebook page so that we can talk about protocols for leaky gut because there's a lot of different products that can be used. Um, and, you know, we can come up with some generalizations for what would be good. Um, but again, we want to find out what caused the leaky gut or else you're never going to have su success with the protocols for healing your leaky gut and you're going to end up wasting your money. Absolutely. You know, one thing I want to go back to, um, 
is, is the fact that now that a lot more people are going to be, you know, ending quarantine and getting back out and, and being in a lot more public places. You know, I saw in an interview yesterday, um, someone say that, you know, th there's no waiting this virus out. You know, we can't stay in quarantine long enough for this thing to quote unquote, go away. So, so this is something we're going to deal with long term. Now, you know, as more people become immune or we develop vaccine or whatever happens in the future, you know, the way it's treated will likely change. But, but this is something that is going to be a long term, you know, virus for us, right? We can't just expect this to, to, to wait it out for it to go away. No, exactly. You know, the virus is not going away. The virus is never going away. Um, just like the flu virus, you know, just like all the other, how many are there, like 30 coronaviruses, you know, just like all the other viruses, you know, the, and the virus is not the enemy, it's not the boogeyman here. Um, you know, that's why we are spending so much time focusing on, you know, what can you do to keep your immune system strong? Um, I popped all of those interviews and links into the chat, um, and I believe that we do have the ability to save those chats now so that we can post them in our Crusaders for Health um, like in a little file in there so that you guys can, can also grab it there if you can't, you know, copy and paste it, um, in a, in a document on your computer right now. But, um, let's talk just a little bit about the virus and why it's never going away. Um, uh, because the viruses don't just disappear. Like you can't eradicate a virus. There's the vaccines will never do that either. And so many of you are familiar with how the flu vaccine um, you know, it's only like, if that, if that, it's like 20%, you know, it actually works 20% of the time. More, more, a higher percentage than that, it even actually causes the disease or, you know, it actually causes the flu in people. It's an RNA virus. And the, what happens with these, with these, um, with these types of um, like retroviruses and such, they go into the cell they latch on to our DNA and they, and, and they actually mutate. And then once the virus replicates and then you like sneeze or do whatever and you pass it on to the next person, guess what happens? It goes into their cells, attaches to their DNA. Now it's different. Now it's mutated from the last person that you just caught it from. It's a very fast mutating virus. And, 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 and the reason why it mutates so fast is because of the type of virus that it is. It, it, it actually you know, uh, changes every time that it attaches to our DNA, the virus changes. And then that person passes it on to the next five people. And in each of those five people, it's gonna become a different strain. And so, a vaccine's never gonna work. Like it's it's impossible. So we need to figure out. Okay, so if, if it's not gonna work, then what can we do, right? And so and so that's why we're talking a lot about getting rid of comorbidities, fixing our immune systems. You know, supporting our immune systems and understanding what types of you know understanding how even something as simple as a vitamin can actually prevent viral replication right? And then understanding what drugs are out there that combined with different minerals can actually stop the disease in its tracks. Um, but yeah, the virus, the virus is not going away. And you know, one of these studies that just came out a couple days ago, last week actually, looked at vitamin D as being um, 
able to interfere with this viral replication that you talk about. And so vitamin D is definitely one of the things that we recommend that everybody take because the majority of our clients that we see are, are low in vitamin D. And, and you know, when this all first started and we sent out our recommendations for supplements, vitamin D is up there on the list. And so, you know, some research is being done. We've seen the research on vitamin C and how that was being used in some of the hospitals in New York to help with this. So it's coming down to a lot of these vitamins and these supplements and these nutrients. Let's not forget we get a lot of these from food, not vitamin D, but some of these other things we get from food. Um, so, so it's good to see that some of these natural treatments and, and, and remedies that we talk about are beneficial even in something like coronavirus. Yes, um, you know, a lot of these are super, super beneficial. And, you know, I've, I've, I've found it very disheartening that, um, you know, leading doctors and scientists around the world that are trying to, you know, shout out there and let everybody know, hey, this is working. You know, the IV vitamin C is working. It's, hello, it's working. And then mainstream media shuts it down. Um, it's just like, it's almost unbelievable. It's just, it's, it's very, very disheartening. Um, but, uh, but the good news is that, you know, some of this information, you know, is, is getting out there to the people who are looking for it. Yeah. And I want to bring Dr. Tori in here to answer a couple of these questions that we're getting about some of these supplements. So in talking about vitamin D and vitamin C, Laura is asking if an increase in taking those vitamins can cause a Herxheimer response for the body. And maybe you wanna explain what a Herxheimer reaction is for people who don't know. But can those, can taking just those vitamins cause a Herx reaction? So uh, that is a great question. A Herxheimer reaction is this reaction that you, you see when you start killing off things. You tend to see this flare up of symptoms that can be as small as a headache and fatigue all the way to you know really a big exacerbation. And it usually is very short, shouldn't last long, and you kind of get through it. Very common when you're going at bacteria and parasites and those bugs. And so I haven't personally seen it. Dr. V, you can chime in. I, I haven't seen vitamin D herx anyone or vitamin C, but what I would say it's probably doing is boosting your immune system and it's something else is, is dying. You're detoxing, you know, it, these are immune boosting supplements that really support the body. So what I would say is it's probably something else is either being detoxed, is being killed off. Um, but I, I don't know that vitamin D by itself or vitamin C would hurt you. And vitamin D, um, Dr. Dave asked, you know, what levels we like to see. And that is something we're telling everyone, you know, take your vitamin D, but you don't want to be taking these very high levels for a long time without checking your blood. We like to see it between 60 and 90, 60 and 100, somewhere around there. Um, and that's a really optimal range for your vitamin D levels. But you do, if you continue on this higher dose, want to check it so you're not getting too, too high on those. And Dr. Tori, you, uh, we were talking earlier before Tribe Talk, you were doing some research on some of the herbs that are being used, and that's an interest of yours, of all of ours. What are you finding out that's, that's being used, and, and how could some of these herbs help in something like you know, a viral issue or a viral pattern someone's having? 
Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, there's new things coming out every day. Someone's trying this or someone's trying that. And China's putting out a good amount of research on, on herbs. And so yesterday I was listening in on a, on a talk and they were talking about hetunia, which is a classic, you know, antimicrobial herb, actually helping lower the cytokine storm caused by COVID. And so that's a really interesting um, spinoff. We use hetunia a lot with some of these bacterial infections. But the cytokine storm we know is a big factor when it comes to COVID. So petunia is really good. And then I saw an interesting study about vitamin A. And this is when SARS hit last time, which is another type of coronavirus. They were using vitamin A to drive zinc levels up. And so that vitamin A helped the zinc you know, be absorbed. And that's what you're seeing work really well with some of these drugs like hydroxychloroquine, why it works so well it's helping one of the reasons why it works is it's helping drive that zinc into the cells so pairing vitamin a and zinc is very helpful um and then of course you know anything that's going to be these you know antivirals whether it's cat's claw or you know some of these different antiviral combos we see echinacea and all of those those are showing time and time again to be helping but like anything this is research we don't know what's you know really going to kill it or cure it this is just you know, researchers seeing if it's going to help, um, and these herbs seem to be doing a good job. And I know you've done a lot of research on on the research that was done after the whole SARS outbreak, and it's important to look back at those studies and see what was done because that gives ideas for how we might approach, you know, COVID. Exactly, and especially when you look at some sort of virus that nobody really had any good answers, especially when it first broke. There really wasn't you know, a quote unquote cure. And so you have to look back at something that is similar to it and go, okay, what did they do that worked well? And how can we kind of mimic that knowing what we know? And then as the information evolves, you can make better, you know, decisions of what to use moving forward. But, you know, it was a great place to start looking at what herbs they used in SARS and the different coronaviruses that we've seen hit pretty hard. And let's, let's touch on, let's kind of change gears a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, moving past COVID and moving past this place that our country and our world has kind of been in for the past month and a half, two years, you know, things are going to start changing as far as places opening back up and people going out and coming into contact with others. What are some things to keep in mind as we transition? I mean, obviously, I think at the top of the list, Dr. V would be, you know, focusing on your health and improving your health and addressing these comorbidities or these chronic issues that you may be having. And people will hear us say all the time how to do that, but what are the things that people need to be focusing on right now? Well, I mean, I think you pretty much said it right there. Yeah, I think that we just really need to, you know, focus on our health and we need to use this time. You know, a lot of people, their lives have been completely shaken up uh, because of this, because they are either on the verge of losing their, their business, um, you know, they are, uh, they have already, you know, lost their business or they've lost their jobs. Um, you know, we as Americans and just as a human population, right, you know, we can think outside the box. We need to start thinking outside the box. We need to be resilient. We need to support one another. We need to lift each other up, you know? Um, you know, we are involved in a couple of mastermind groups where they say a rising tide lifts all boats. And that's what we need to be right now. We need to hold each other up. We need to help each other. 
Uh, we need to help each other come up with ideas for how we can pull each other out of these situations. I know we've had a few doctors reach out to us whose clinics closed down and they're like, oh my God, what do I do? I can't, I can't go another two weeks. And we're helping them. We're showing them and teaching them how they can go online so that they can help people so that they can make a living and still be able to help other people at the same time. I feel like, um, you know, I feel like a lot of our freedoms are on the verge, uh, you know, are on the line right now. And more than ever, um, we need to speak up. We need to speak to our state representatives and our state governors. We need to, we need to use our voice. These people work for us. We're paying their salary, but we've spent all of our lives being so busy, assuming that everybody's going to make the right decisions for us because we're paying for it with our taxes. And we're so busy just trying to make a living that a lot of us don't even vote, right? Um, you know, and a lot of people who vote, uh, you know, like for our, you know, um, you know, at the higher levels, like, you know, for the presidents and the people in Congress and stuff, a lot of them don't vote for your local representatives, Right now, pay attention to what they're doing. Pay attention to their decisions. And are their decisions a reflection of the majority of the people in your state? Because if it's not, they need to be fired. Like you need to speak up and you need to say something right now. You know, more than ever, we need to make sure that we preserve our constitutional rights. And you know, this, this, is, this is something that's very, very important if we want to maintain our health um, you know, our personal health. And if we want to also, you know, be able to recover and then maintain in the future, you know, our economical health as well. So I would say, yes, be sure and focus on your self-care, but keep an eye out for what's going on and speak your voice because we all, this is our country. This is our country and we need to speak up now more than ever. Absolutely. That's a wonderful point. And I, I, I wanted to add that from a media perspective, you know, I spent 15 years in the media industry. And so when I watch a lot of the coverage, although I try not to watch too much, but I get sucked in sometimes just like everybody else. When I watch a lot of the coverage, it's very easy for me to see some of these patterns that these networks fall into. Um, you know, constantly showing you the numbers, constantly telling you there's breaking news, even when it doesn't seem something like something that deserves the title of breaking news, constantly keeping you in that place of needing to watch and needing to know what's next. That's very harmful to us. And so we need to recognize that we need to detach from that. And we need to make sure that we're looking for information in a reliable place, um, that you're looking for the facts that you're going to places like the Nas National Institute for Health or the CDC or your state government or your local health department, places where you're going to see facts without opinion attached onto those facts or interpretation attached onto those facts. So it's really important that you know, you're looking for valuable, truthful information. And we'll tell you this all the time, you'll hear us say it, detach from social media, detach from TV, you know, spend some time outside, all of these things, you know, you can do on a daily basis to help improve your mental well-being, your physical well-being, and, and, you know, find yourself after all of this is done in a better place than you were when it started. You know, we've talked about a lot of people using this as a big reset, as a time to really evaluate their lives and see what's working and what's not working. And I think we can apply that to so many areas of our life, not just our diet, not just our sleep and our exercise, but 
our mindset, which we talk about a, a lot, you know, including things in our life that are important and getting rid of the things in life that are trivial. So, so use this time that we have to really, you know, develop yourself and, and think about where you're going in life and set some goals and start crushing those goals. Yes, I absolutely love that. That's such a good summary for today's discussion. Um, does anyone have any questions before we jump off? We have one more, and I think it's a really, really good question. Um, we have Jude asking um, for our opinion on face masks. And I know right now this is a hot topic, and I have seen in Whole Foods some heated conversations between a uh, masked and an un unmasked person. And so there's a lot of emotion behind it. And so um, I think it's a really, a really, really good topic. So Dr. B has comments, and I know I do as well. Yeah, so um, yeah, I'll go ahead and start with that. I think that first of all, just like uh, with many other issues, I think we should step back and we should rise above the, you know, this is right and this is wrong uh, type of scenario, okay? Uh, because what's gonna be right is gonna be different for each person, okay? The reality is, is that the masks are not gonna do a whole lot for you. Um, but if you, you know, if your state is mandating it and you're going to follow those rules of your state mandate, or you feel like you're going to be more protected with a mask, then by all means do it. Because if it makes you more confident to wear the mask and it prevents you from feeling stressed, that alone is gonna help your immune system. Because as soon as you get stressed out, you are really compromising your immune function. So. You know, um, also, if you're not feeling well, you know, just don't go outside. I mean, that's just a general rule. Anyway, like that's just a general rule, even before this whole, you know, issue with this pandemic started, um, you know, because when you are sick and you're out and about, then you're contaminating everybody else around you. You know, every time that you touch something or you're sneezing on something or whatever, right? Like, you know, um, and it goes more than six feet. The whole six feet rule is the most stupid thing I've ever seen. And, and have you guys noticed at the grocery store, you'll have like six foot tapes, but then right next to it, like one foot away, there's another line. Like what, do you think the virus doesn't jump sideways? Come on guys, like if somebody sneezes, those particles are gonna be in the air for quite a while and it's gonna go away more than six feet. Um, but uh, you know, that's just, and I'm not gonna say it's not a debatable issue. It's just do what's comfortable for you. We all need to respect one another and be kind. Do not be shaming the person who's not wearing a mask and do not be shaming the person who's wearing a mask, okay? There's just no reason for that. There's no reason for that. Let's just support each other. If you feel like you need to wear it or your state is mandating it and you're going to, you know, be the rule follower and you're going to do it because you feel like it's necessary, then do it. Like there's no reason for us to get angry or upset or shame each other over that. And then Dr. Tori has some really good input on this from something that she saw yesterday that she had to help somebody. And this is regarding masks. Yes. Yeah, so I, I would definitely say Dr. V is a hundred percent spot on, but you know, use your common sense when it comes to the mask uh, we have this big long running trail that goes along the river and it was about 90 degrees in Austin over the weekend and we were all running and I saw a pregnant mom 
with a kid in a stroller. The pregnant mom was running wearing a mask and the little kid was in the stroller wearing a mask and wheezing. You could tell this kid couldn't breathe. And so I normally wouldn't do this, but I stopped the mom and told her she can't breathe. The baby can't breathe. And you know, you're cutting off her oxygen to her brain. And not only for your kid, you're pregnant. So you need oxygen for yourself and your baby. So, you know, do not use it in, you know, use common sense. If you're worried about going outside and catching the virus, then don't exercise outside with a mask on. It's, it's actually very dangerous to be breathing in carbon monoxide, restricting your oxygen flow, especially if you're pregnant or on a kid. So use common sense. But then aside from that, you know, it is your personal decision and, you know, respect either way. Yeah. And, and I would say too, um, don't, don't wear your mask when you're in your car. Um, that's, that's one thing I'll say like, that makes no sense, um, at all. And it could be dangerous because you are rebreathing, you know, the exhaled air, you're not getting enough oxygen into your body and you're driving. So you could not only kill yourself, you could hurt somebody else if you ended up passing out behind the wheel and you're confined in your car. So it just makes absolutely no sense. I'm seeing people driving around with masks on and I just feel very concerned. You know, um, the other thing too is let's say you are sick let, or actually let me back up a little bit let's say that you do have coronavirus now you're not exhibiting a lot of symptoms maybe not maybe no symptoms at all of covid okay remember covid is the disease expressed from the virus right and not everybody's going to express the disease in its form or they'll have very very mild a little coughing a little fever a little fatigue and they're over it but let's say that you have that right um, and you're wearing the mask. You are rebreathing all of the virus that your body's trying to exhale. You're rebreathing it. So you're double contaminating yourself. Like your body can't even get it out. And so, you know, there's just a lot of things to think about when you're wearing a mask. Um, and just, just, just be as sensible as you can about it if you're going to wear one. Absolutely. Great points from both of you. And, and, you know, if you are sick, just stay home. Stay away from those vulnerable, pe vulnerable people in your life who, who are elderly or have those comorbidities. Just stay at home, get some rest, have some good food, sleep, you know, you know, get over it and get well, you know, is the best advice that we can give. Awesome. Thank you so much, everyone.